Good evening and welcome to the City Council study session for January 28th, 2020. Um, City Manager, do you want to introduce this item? Just very briefly, Your Honor, the first item on this evening's agenda is a discussion of the Comprehensive Annual Financial Report, um, and the, it's commonly known as the audit. Um, here at the city, we are very proud of how responsible we are with the public's resources, and year after year, our audit reflects top-notch financial management, and so it should be no surprise to Council that this is another year that reflects our professionalism. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Kay Nees, our Finance Director, to introduce the rest of our present presenters. All right, good evening. Uh, as Dorothy mentioned, uh, we're here tonight to talk about the annual audit report. And we once again have a clean audit opinion. This means that there are no major issues. And a lot of hard work and hours go into the preparation of this audit report. And to my right is Carrie Seams, who does a lot of the work around the preparation for this report. She is our city accountant. And next to her is Jennifer Martinson, who is a principal with our audit firm, Lauterbach & Amen. We are also joined in the audience directly behind me by Amanda Durst, our staff accountant, who also makes significant contribution to the work of this audit. At this point, I'm going to turn it over to Carrie Seams in order to review the financials. Good evening. Um, I am going to start by discussing the financial highlights of the Comprehensive Annual Financial Report, also referred to as the CAFR. So if you hear me reference that throughout the presentation, that's what I'm talking about. Um, for anyone following along paper copy, it's the big bound report. Um, or if you're following along via PDF, it begins on page one of the PDF. So if you open up to uh, page 18 hard copy or 28 PDF, you will find the management's discussion and analysis. And basically, this is the entire 200-plus page document summarized into a 16-page, easy-to-read summary. Um, there's financial analysis. There's comparative year-over-year -year information. And I always say if there's anything in all of the document that you read, um, reference the 16-page summary because all the information is summed up nice and easy to read there. So if you move along to um, page 34, 35 of your hard copy, or 4546 of your PDF, you will find the statement of net position. The statement of net position is very similar to the balance sheet of a business. So it's got all the funds of the city, um, all of the assets, so things like our investments and infrastructure, all of the liabilities, so our debt and our pension liabilities, with the difference of the two reported as net position. So this year, um, we had total assets of $559.6 million total liabilities of $229.7 million, resulting in an ending net position of $329.9 million, of which $321.8 million of that is invested in capital assets. Um, this statement just provides a good overall snapshot of the city's finances. If you move ahead one page um, to page 3637 of the hard copy or 4748 of the PDF, you will find the statement of activities. The statement of activities is very similar to the income statement of a business. So once again, all of the funds of the city are combined here. It reports all the revenues, less all the expenditures with the difference reported as net position. Um, there was a total decrease of net position of seven million. Um, with this statement, the increases and decreases in this statement are driven a lot of times by the performance of the city's pension plans, which was um, the case this year. 
And so um, there were some changes in our actuarial assumptions and in demographics. Um, so things such as hiring new employees or employees retiring or becoming disabled, um, retirees passing away, increases in salaries um, due to promotions, all those things happening within our pension funds that cause an increase in our pension liability. Um, there were also some actuarial changes that caused a, an increase in our total pension, um, total post-employment benefit plan as well um, that caused an increase in that liability. So those things together um, resulted in our total decrease of $7 million. If you move ahead a few more pages um, to pages 41, 42 of the hard copy or 53, 54 of the PDF, you will find um, the statement of revenues, expenditures, and changes in fund balances for our governmental funds. Um, in that very first column, you'll find the general fund information. Our general fund fund balance actually increased um, almost 479000 and that was driven mainly by increases in state income tax revenues. Um, the state reduced that amount, that, that share that they're keeping, that admin fee from 10% 10% down to 5%, um, and then um, that, that, increased the, that increased our income, um, and also interest income, there were some um, increases this year as well. Um, within this statement of governmental funds are all of our capital projects. So with capital projects, um, we're obviously building fund balance to pay projects in future years, so those um, fund balances can swing from year to year. Um, which was the case this year. So total governmental fund balances decreased $3.3 million, but that was due to planned spend-down of, um, of resources for these projects. Um, there was a $3.6 million donation for, of land for the Bristol Place Redevelopment Project, and there was also planned um, purchases of a fire truck and a rescue squad for the fire department, totaling $1.5 million that contributed to that decrease. Um, moving ahead a few more pages, uh, pages 46, 47 of the hard copy or 59, 60 of the PDF. This is that same exact statement, but this is for our proprietary funds. So our propri proprietary funds are those funds that operate like a business where the charges for services are to cover the costs. So this would be our parking fund, our sewer fund, and our environmental services funds. And in total, they had an increase of almost 129000 and most of that was driven by increases in um, parking revenues within the parking fund. Um, moving ahead to page 149150 um, or 169.170 if you're following along electronically, um, this is information, supplementary information related to our pension funds. And what I want to highlight here is if you look under the column 63019 towards the bottom, you'll see our funding percentages. So our police pension fund as of 63019 was funded at 78.06%. And then on the following page, if you look, our firefighters pension fund was funded at 70.35%. Um, and it's just important to note that the city always contributes well in excess of what the state requires that we contribute. And so that's what drives these increased numbers. And just for reference, the downstate average for police and fire for this past year was 55.47%. So we're funding, um, you know, we're sitting well above where, where most people are. Um, moving ahead a few more pages um, to page 156 of the hard copy or 176 of the PDF. Um, these are the start of our budget to actual statements. 
So you'll see it'll show the performance um, related to budget. There's the original budget, there's the final budget, and then the actual um, results for both revenues and expenditures. And it starts with the general fund, and then each fund has an individual page that follows that general fund. And then the last thing I'll cover in this report begins on page 207 of the hard copy or 235 of your PDF. And this is our statistical section. So the statistical section shows trend information going back 10 years. So there's financial information, um, things like sales tax revenues, property tax revenues, um, demographic information, what's the median household income in the area, what's the unemployment rate, um, as well as operating statistics. So the number of fire calls that we had, the number of police calls we had, the number of potholes we repaired. There's lots of um, interesting and useful information that's contained within that section. The last thing that I will cover is the single audit report. And um, if you're following along electronically, um, you can find this on page beginning on page 278, or if you're following along hard copy, it's the smaller bound report. Um, the single audit is the um, audit of our federal grant expenditures and whether we're in compliance with um, federal grant guidelines. If you look on page two, you will see our total um, federal awards expended this year were $2,848,929, which was consistent with the prior year. And I do want to point out that um, the MCOR grant is not included here as that's a grant that's being managed by the state, so um, our auditors don't audit that. And then if you flip to page 9 or page 285 of your PDF, this is the auditor's report, which just states that there were no audit findings and then there were no um, findings or question costs on any of our federal grant awards. Um, so with that, I will turn it over to Jen Martinson, who is the principal um, on the audit. Good evening. Um, I just want to briefly start by thanking the finance team for all of their hard work during the audit process. Um, it really is a team effort, a coordinated effort, and the, uh, the level of effort that this team does put into the audit preparation is outstanding. Um, they do fantastic work throughout the whole process, so thank you all very much for all of your hard work. Um, as Kay briefly mentioned, I'm happy to report to Council that it was an unmodified opinion for fiscal year 2019. And so this really is the highest level of opinion that we can express on the financial statements. And what that means really is that it was a clean audit um, and that everything within the financial statements is materially correct. Additionally, as part of the audit process, we do um, an assessment of the internal control environment as well. And during that process, we would also be required to communicate with council um, if there were any issues, red flags, concerns that came up throughout that process in the form of a letter. Um, that would be the SAS 114 letter. And I'm happy to say that there were no such issues. Um, as you've seen throughout the presentation, it was a very clean audit, as we said, with the unmodified opinion, and additionally, um, no difficulties that needed to be reported to the council. All right, so then I'm going to briefly review our management letter. Uh, the management letter is one of these smaller bound reports. If you're following along on your PDF, it starts on page 293. And what this letter is, is it's a chance for the auditors in order to provide certain recommendations to both management as well as council. Um, the recommendations start on page 295 of the PDF or the second page of the hard copy of the report. 
And the first recommendation is in regards to our police pension fund. The police pension fund on an annual basis actually gets a separate audit report from the city's audit report. Ideally, within that audit report, they would use the city's actuarial information as we are their employer. However, they have elected um, to instead receive a separate actuarial report, and that is what they include in with their audit. Um, this is a repeat recommendation from prior years, and while city staff does agree with the auditors that uh, ideally they should be using that information, the pension board has declined to implement this recommendation. The second recommendation is um, in regards to certain funds that on an accrual basis have exceeded our budget. So when we annually, when the city performs our budget, we do it on the cash basis, which basically means that we record expenditures as they are paid. However, when we convert to audited financial statements, we convert to the accrual basis of accounting, which is where we record expenditures as the underlying economic transaction occurs. When this happens, due to timing differences, oftentimes every year we have certain funds that will go over budget just due to the timing of the transactions and what year they get recorded in as we make this conversion. Um, however, on a cash basis, all of our funds were within budget. At this point, um, I'm going to turn it back over to Council for any comments or questions. Are there any technical questions? Councilmember Stock. Quick one. Um, on the police pension board, if they followed the guideline, how would that, do we know how that would change the it wouldn't, they, different it wouldn't, actuarial amount? It wouldn't change our numbers at all because what we're reporting is our actuarial reports, um, and it wouldn't change our liabilities or anything that we have recorded in our reports. It's just, you know, their preferences is in their audit report, they want to include their actuarial information. Anybody else? Anyone in the audience wish to address this issue, please step forward. Seeing none, counts comment. Thank you. City Manager, do you want to introduce the next item? Thank you, Your Honor. The second item on this evening's study session agenda is a review of city boards and commissions. This study session has been scheduled at the request of the City Council, and I think it's important to note that the last time a City Council did a comprehensive look at our boards and commissions was all the way back in 2002. So it's probably time for us to sit down and just check in and review all of our boards and commissions and make sure that the purposes and the way that they operate are consistent with Council's expectations. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Christopher Walton, Assistant to the City Manager, to do the presentation. Thank you, City Manager. Good evening, Council. As the City Manager stated, the purpose of tonight's study session is to review um, all city boards and commissions in operation uh, in the City of Champaign and the associated ordinances per Council's study session request. Um, from time to time, City Councils have reviewed boards and commissions uh, that they've created to ensure that the purpose and responsibilities of each board and commission align with Council's expectations and with the goals and the visions that the City Council sets. Um, so to be clear, boards and commissions do serve a vital role in city government, and by utilizing boards and commissions, the city council is able to actively engage residents uh, in the work of the city. So we start by 
broadly summarizing boards and commissions in three ways. Uh, first, they are volunteers. Each board and commission is, is made up of volunteer residents who offer their time, talent, and services uh, to the city um, in order to help um, in conducting city business on behalf of council. Uh, second, they are advisors. Um, through the effort of the professional city staff assigned to each uh, board and commission, board and commission members are able to provide recommendations and suggestions to city council uh, about the appropriate uh, fields of service for those boards and commissions to help council with their decision-making and policy-making processes. And then lastly, they are defined by council. So except we're preempted by state law, um, the city council has the ability to create and amend and refine boards and commissions, again, to ensure that their responsibilities and scope of work align with council's expectations and um, the vision and the goals that the city council sets. So as with all elements of city government, uh, every board and commission is required to adhere to um, the Open Meetings Act, the Freedom of Information Act, and the section of the city code regarding um, ethics. Uh, with the help of the uh, legal department, the professional staff assigned to each board and commission is able to field questions from board and commission members as they come up regarding these topics and then gets advice from the legal department to answer any further questions that they may have. Also on this portion, I would like to note that per state law, every member of a board and commission is required to complete the OMA training uh, that is offered by the Illinois Attorney General's Office within 90 days of their appointment. So before we get into uh, the 10 boards and commissions that we're really here to talk about, just broadly and summarize, I want to point out the six that are not included in detail in your report, and they're not included for uh, a few specific reasons. So the first two, uh, the Board of Directors of the Burnham City Hospital and the Board of Local Improvements are not included because they're you. The City Council has assumed the powers of these boards, and so for the purposes of our discussion tonight, um, those really don't apply. Uh, I would like to note that the Board of Local Improvements was first established in 1868, and uh, though it has not been in continuous operation, it is the oldest board uh, that the City Council has, and why I mentioned the continuous operation matters later in the presentation. So the next two boards are the Board of Trustees of the Firefighters Pension Fund, and then as mentioned in the previous uh, study session, the Board of Trustees of the Police Pension Fund. The reason why we're not talking about these two boards is because although they have mayoral appointments, um, the city council is limited in what they're able to do with those boards because both of these boards are required by state law and their activities and operations are also governed by state law. That is also true with the Foreign Fire Insurance Tax Board. Yes, you have one of those because it is included uh, by state law for every municipality and the composition of this board is also dictated by uh, the state of Illinois. So the council can't change any of that. Again, this is why that's not included in the report. And then last is the Tax Increment Financing Joint Review Board. Although uh, these are not required in every municipality per se, if a municipal corporation creates a redevelopment area or a tax increment financing district, it is required to have one of these boards. And the composition of this board would be representatives of every taxing entity within those areas. And again, their purpose and direction and motivation is confined and restricted by state law. So council is very limited on what they can do on that. So again, for the purposes of tonight's um, brief review of each of these uh, boards, we are not going to include those. So of the remaining uh, 10, 
uh, we can break them up into five boards, three commissions, one subcommittee, and one task force. Now, in the reports that council has and that are available to the public, the duties and responsibilities of each of these boards is verbatim provided uh, from the city code in the report. Um, because that list is very exhaustive, I will not go through every single duty of all the boards and commissions, but I will briefly summarize them as we uh, acknowledge the boards that we have. So with that, um, we do have the following 10 boards and commissions. So the Board of Fire and Police Commissioners, which conducts and approves the recruitment and testing processes for appointments and promotions for fire and police personnel. Uh, the Champaign Historic Preservation Commission, which identifies properties and structures and areas that are historically significant in the city of Champaign. The City Council Compensation Task Force, which makes recommendations on mayoral and council member compensations. Um, the City Human Relations Commission, which enforces the human rights ordinance of the city. Um, the Citizen Review Subcommittee, which conducts unbiased reviews of the investigations of residents' uh, complaints uh, that are filed against the police department. The City of Champaign uh, Board of Library Trustees, uh, which uh, governs the operations and policies of uh, the Champaign Public Library. And this is the caveat that I gave earlier about the Board of Local Improvements, uh, about continuous operation. Uh, the oldest board that the city has is the Champaign Public Library Board, um, being established in 1876. Um, next is the Code Review and Appeals Board, which uh, reviews and advises the city council on all building construction codes and hears appeals related to those codes. The Neighborhood Services Advisory Board, which uh, reviews the uh, city's neighborhood wellness and community development programs. Uh, the Plan Commission, which discusses and reviews various land use related issues. And the Zoning Board of Appeals, which reviews uh, requests for variations from elements of the zoning ordinance and also appeal, hears appeals uh, of decisions made by the zoning administrator. Um, included in your report are the members of each of these boards and commissions and the city staff assigned to each of them. So as I mentioned earlier, uh, city council's review of boards and commissions is just a, a matter of good governance. Um, as the city manager uh, noted, it's been a while since we looked at that. Um, and this gives the city council an opportunity to uh, acknowledge the volunteer residents that serve on their boards and commissions and also an opportunity to review the duties and assignments of each of the boards and commissions, again, to make sure that they align with uh, city council's expectations and the vision and the mission that the uh, city council has set. Uh, so with that, there are um, a few uh, general policy options that staff would like to bring to council's attention for your consideration. And the first would be um, defined purpose and duties of each board and commission. Um, only the Neighborhood Services Advisory Board, the Human Relations Commission, the Citizens Review Subcommittee, and the Historic Preservation Commission actually have their purpose defined in the city code. Um, as I mentioned in the report, if you read the duties and responsibilities of each of these, um, all, all 10 of the boards and commissions, you can infer what council wants them to do. However, that is an inference, and it's determined on the interpretation of the person reading it. So staff would recommend that council provide specific purposes for each of the boards and commissions that they have. Similarly, um, the duties and responsibilities of each of the boards and commissions um, is also provided by council, and staff would recommend that 
uh, council review those just to make sure that they are clear and concise so that we can make sure that the volunteer residents serving on our boards and commissions have that direction from council and that the expectations of them by council are completely understood. So as examples, as I mentioned in the report, some of the duties that some of the boards and commissions have are broad. So uh, to inform and educate, uh, to undertake such other action or activity relative to, I swear I didn't write that, um, or to encourage or actively promote. Um, those, are, those are broad and that level of latitude opens itself up for board and commission members to, to self-identify how they best can achieve council's goals and how they can best achieve council's expectations. So again, staff would recommend some code language that would clarify the purpose of each of the boards and commissions and also the, make sure that the duties are concise and meet with council's expectations of what they want these boards and commissions to accomplish. The next option that we want to bring to your attention is an annual report to council. Uh, the city code only requires an annual activity report from the Neighborhood Services Advisory Board, the Human Relations Commission, and the Citizens Review Subcommittee. Staff would recommend that council request an annual report from all boards and commissions, and it serves a couple of purposes. Number one, it provides a historical record of the activities of each of these boards and commissions. It codifies that requirement so that uh, this council and future councils can use that um, as a foundation for future reviews. Um, and then also it gives council an opportunity to then review at their leisure um, the activities of each of these boards and commissions to, again, make sure that the um, duties and activities align with the expectation of council that they have for each of their boards and commissions. Um, the next option that we want to bring to your attention is that of a citywide public comment policy. So this particular uh, option is noted in your report in the section regarding bylaws for each of the boards and commissions. So the city code provides that um, of the 10 boards and commissions that we have, eight of them are allowed to create and generate their own bylaws. Um, of those eight, four of them specifically speak to the um, ability of a speaker to, to have time during public comment. So just want to clarify that there are 10 boards and commissions of which the city code allows eight of them to have bylaws. Of those eight, four only address um, public comment. And of those four, three of them allowed five minutes per speaker. One of them allows three minutes per speaker. So having a citywide policy that completely covers all boards and commissions and all public meetings of the city of Champaign will provide uh, consistency and clarity for members of the public who want to engage, actively engage, and constructively engage with city government, and then they don't have to know the different rules depending on the different um, board or commission that they are interfacing with. Uh, the next two options, OMA certifications and attendance standards, are related because they're both relative to the section of the city code that speaks to appointments and removals of board and commission members, uh, specifically the mayor's ability to remove um, a member of the board of a commission um, at her discretion. Again, these are um, elements that the mayor can choose to use um, as she wishes. So if you bear with me for a moment, there are four um, reasons that the mayor can use to remove somebody um, from a board of commission. The first one is in the event that the mayor loses confidence in the ability of a member to work cooperatively with the city council, uh, the other members of the board committee or commission, or with city staff. Two, is in the event that the mayor believes that there is a need for a different board, committee, or commission composition to assist that body in the conduct of its work. Uh, three, in the event 
and that the mayor believes that such removal is in the best interest of the city, and then four, when a member has been absent for three or more consecutive meetings. So um, when referencing OMA certifications, I go back to what we talked about earlier in the presentation, is that by state law, every member of a board or commission is required to complete the OMA certification that is provided by the Illinois Attorney General's office within the first 90 days of their appointment. Um, however, state law doesn't pre prescribe any type of remedy if someone doesn't do that. So staff is recommending that council give the mayor another tool in the toolbox to use to help compel individuals to complete their, their OMA certifications. And I think we all can agree that understanding the requirements of the Open Meetings Act and the Freedom of Information Act helps us uh, be better individuals serving on boards and commissions. The second uh, option in that is the attendance. So it's already listed as an option um, that the mayor can use at her discretion. Again, her discretion. Um, it's when a member has been absent for three or more consecutive meetings. So staff would ask council just to clarify their intention when it comes to an attendance policy. And why this is important is because uh, for any substantive action to be taken by a board or commission, it requires a majority of vote of all eligible members of that board and commission who can vote. So not just a majority of a quorum or a majority of the people who show up, a majority of the total number of people who are eligible to vote for that board or commission. So obviously we want to make sure that um, we are respecting the time and the effort and energy of our volunteers, but we also want to make sure that we um, have the attendance standards that council expects. So we're asking council to consider whether or not it's consecutive absences or if it's habitual absenteeism that council is trying to address with that particular rule. And then last is a uh, formalized orientation. So currently when a new board or commission member is appointed, uh, or reappointed, they get uh, some form of orientation about the expectations of their board and commission from the professional city staff that are assigned to them, uh, to that board or commission. Um, this is informal. There is really no prescribed methodology of what is covered, what topics are covered. Um, and staff would recommend that council um, look for a formalized process uh, and encourage and set the expectation with the appointees that participation and completion of such a process is a requirement of their service because this helps set the boundaries and the guidelines for um, board and commission members as to council's expectations and such an orientation could cover topics such as the role of city government, uh, the role of board and commissioners in, commissioners in city government and their relationship as a board or commission member to the city council. Uh, the, the previously mentioned FOIA and OMA requirements, attendance expectations, and the duties and responsibilities assigned to them by council. Um, again, this helps set the expectation uh, from council to board and commission members about what expectations there are and helps make sure that everyone's singing from the same song sheet when we get started. So those are the policy options that uh, staff would like to bring to council's attention tonight. And um, at this point, uh, Staff is looking for council's direction regarding next steps. Um, and also, if there are any particular boards or commissions that council would like to review further or more in-depth or thoroughly, uh, please let staff know along with the, the scope of that review so we can provide those study sessions um, in the future as you requested. And, and with that, Your Honor, I am available for technical questions. Thank you. Is there anyone who has any technical questions? Councilmember Beck. Mine is uh, in regards to communication between um, city and commission member, board and commission members, and public to board and commission members. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I was perusing through the list of board and commission members and their um, their contact information, which is included on our city website. Mm-hmm. And I noted that many, if not, I think all, of, not everyone had an email address, first of all. Many people had a phone, but not everybody had an email address. And everybody's email address was a private email address. It was not a city email address. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me what kinds of issues that might raise, or and can you give any comment about whether it would be better or easier to have a city email for our board and commission members so that they could conduct business via that instead? Sure. Admittedly, that wasn't within the scope of the report that I had looked at, but I would be more than happy to partner with the city attorney to to see what those options would be. <laughs> I think it would be valuable to have a standardized email address, but that's, again, it's, that's council's wish. The staff can partner. To- so to address your question about issues, um, any communication about city business with a board or commission member, just like communication with council, is a public record. Um, it must be maintained as a public record. It must be covered by policy. Um, we haven't set up city emails. I think that is a good suggestion. It's, I don't know, frankly surprising to me that we haven't thought about this because we got a FOIA request today asking for all of the emails from a particular board or commission related to something we would have to rely on the voluntary compliance of the board member to go into their personal emails, return them to us so that we can go through that review through our legal staff. Um, I can't say that we've ever had a challenge, but if we ever had a situation where a member of a city board and commission refused to produce those records, we'd still, we'd still be obligated. They're still public records, and so we have no way of preserving those records when they're going through personal accounts. Any other technical questions? Councilmember Stock. Um, are any of the boards or commissions that we just discussed, are any of those um, required by state statute or those are all ordinance created and ordinance maintained, a.k.a. we could change the ordinance or not, but none of the, are, are any of them state required, I guess? So the six that we talked about before, um, those are boards and commissions required uh, by, by state law or whose job uh, duties are prescribed by state law. The 10 that we talked about subsequently are completely within the control of city council. Council may refine or amend their scope of work and duties as council sees fit. Councilmember Beck? Um, so, but just to be clear, mm-hmm. are there any elements within those mm-hmm. or are there any programs that we have mm-hmm. that may be contingent upon that? And I think that there might be in Fred. Do you have an answer for that? Yeah, for the most part, uh, uh, the statement was correct concerning the uh, uh, control of the city council with respect to the boards and commissions. Even though there are state laws that that discuss or that provide for uh, certain boards and commissions, most of those state laws predate the 1970 Constitution. After the 1970 Constitution, uh, the home rule powers of the city allow great latitude with respect to these, although there are certain restrictions very specifically enumerated in uh, some of the uh, boards, not necessarily the boards and commissions, but with respect to some of the activities of the boards and commissions. Uh, And a a good example is firefighter uh, uh, personnel issues. There are some very specific references in the 
and the statute can, uh, relative to the Board of Fire and Police Commissioners that dictate how uh, people are selected, how people are chosen, uh, and there is specific home rule preemption language in there. There's not specific home rule preemption language in the statute, uh, then there's there's no barrier to the city uh, uh, the city council adjusting different facets of the boards and commissions. So, follow up to that. Those are all good points and answers. To drill down to the exact one that I wanted to drill down to, the State of Illinois Certified Local Government Program, does that require that we have a certain, uh, certain statutes or certain, certain whatever involved in our Historic Preservation Board? Well, I have to say I'm not familiar with the certified city program. It, it's not a, we don't have to be a certified city, I don't think. We don't have to be, but if we want to be, continue to be, then are there certain parameters that must be included? I don't know. Bruce maybe knows. Yeah, for uh, <clears throat> to be a certified uh, local government under the uh, historic preservation uh, program, there are requirements, number of times that they meet each year, the makeup of the commission, um, the, the language in the ordinance, those kinds of things. And uh, um, included within that is uh, the uh, surveying of historic properties in the community as well. Okay, thank you. Councilmember Stock. So what exactly, so when we're talking about certified local government, what does that mean? I mean, for, for this purpose? I mean, is, is, does it provide access to funding? Does it provide, like, So potentially there's, there's some grants that are available for things like doing survey work. Um, the state over the years has had uh, limited funding available, uh, but... There is, there is that opportunity. I think the city of Champaign has once or twice uh, availed itself to those grant dollars. Anybody else? Council Member Gladney. Thank you. So in our packet, there is uh, information about the staff time from 2019 uh, that was spent in support of some of these boards and commissions. I appreciate that, but do we have, I mean, do you know off the top of your head, how does this compare to uh, 2018 or other years? Do we have historical data? I mean, I'm just curious if this is a generally, these are steady numbers or whether they fluctuate, and if so, what those are based on, and yeah. So, so they're relatively consistent. I mean, there will be some fluctuation. So, for example, if um, it's an up year for the uh, code review and appeals board when they're actually going through code changes um, for all of our building codes that would require more staff support because there are more building codes to review um, and to bring those recommendations to council so there are, there are subtle fluctuations um, and things like that but by and large these are relatively consistent thank you sure. council member briggs in terms of number of meetings, we get, it seems like we get copied on um, when there's cancellations and things of meetings, and there's certain boards that have a lot more cancellations than others. I mean, is that just sort of commonplace? Is it that we need to look at the role of that particular committee? Is there something that needs to be tweaked so they actually have something to do? Do we need to look at whether or not we need that committee? How does... So, so as, a, as a matter of 
course. It's just a matter of practice. If there is no business for a board or commission to attend to, those meetings are, are canceled. It would be the same as if there was nothing for the city council to consider, right? So um, if, uh, if council would like to review those specific boards or commissions, you know, we can uh, create a study session that dives deeper into that. But just as a matter of, of course, yes. I mean, if there's no business for them to attend to, then um, they, those meetings are, are typically canceled. Okay. Well, and I get, I get that. I guess I'm thinking of maybe some historic preservation or something. Like there may be something like a, a board of appeals or something that is very specific to an mm-hmm. item, and you either have that item or you don't. But if you have historic preservation and they're to be doing work all along the way, or it says you know they should look at surveying or they should look at designating or those types of roles, then I guess I'm concerned about why a lot of those meetings, why there is no nothing to discuss. Sure. Well, again, each of the, the boards are, are supported by, by city staff in, in those regards. Um, so I would, I would need to look specifically into that particular board or commission to, to give you a better answer. So the other point that I'd like to emphasize is when Christopher raised the issue about broad duty supports and commissions, um, it, in the absence of very specific activities, then it really does become either um, staff or board members kind of suggesting topics for meetings, right? Um, and so there's also a very careful balance between boards and commissions discussing topics and boards and commissions um, directing the work of staff. So having meetings to just discuss in the broad categories of saying educate or sharing information, that's one thing when it starts to become let's have a discussion about staff doing stuff, it becomes kind of a difficult situation for staff because we do not take work direction from council, or from boards and commissions. We take work direction from council. And so the clarification of the purposes of boards and commissions that maybe cancel more often or have very broad purposes so that we know what you want staff to work on vis-a-vis um, the advice or the engagement of those commissions would be helpful. Okay, thanks. Councilmember Stock. I want to, sorry, I want to go back to Councilmember Gladney's question about number of hours. So how are those calculated? And the reason I ask is, um, just using it as an example off the page, Board of Police and Fire Commissioners. I was on that for a year. I don't think we met more than five minutes, one, maybe one minute of the year. So obviously 1,550 hours is needed. So is it anything related to hiring police and fire got calculated as that was part of the work of police and fire commission, basically? It was specifically... Um, or any of the... I just used that one because it was on top well, of sure. it. It was out, specifically but. meeting preparation, agenda preparation, and any of the clerical and administrative support that staff provided to that board of commission mm-hmm. throughout the course of the year. But hiring police officers, using that as an example, hiring police officers and and firefighters and the promotional aspects of that are all functions of of city uh, government that we're going to do anyway that was not specific to that board or commission. Is that true then of these other, is that kind of the way they were calculated as well? Some of the stuff we're doing, we didn't, we spent 840 hours for the Champaign Public Library Board, but in reality, a lot of that stuff was stuff that it wasn't done because there's a public library board. It was stuff that was going to be done anyways. That makes sense? Yeah. Give me one moment. Let me pull up that Or, yeah, I just picked that one off the page, but. 
Sure. But there's, you're correct that maybe some of that stuff would be done anyway, but it still requires, I mean, there is still staff time involved in the preparation of agendas, the discussion of topics, preparing items for the meetings, noticing the meetings, minutes for the meetings. Um, there's a wide variety. So you're right, for uh, Board of Police and Fire Commissioners, the amount of staff time that goes into the hiring and the promotional recommendations for police and fire is more significant on the staff side, and it may not seem like as much work on the board itself. Um, but it's it's just like city council meetings. I mean, there's a lot of staff time that goes into the preparation and support. That doesn't make it a good thing or a bad thing if there's a lot of staff time, but it is still staff time that aligns with having those public meetings and supporting the board in the conduct of its duties. I mean, it... I, I don't want to minimize that there is staff time that is involved. It may not seem like there's a lot of staff time involved, but there is a lot of staff time involved. And again, it's necessary staff time, but it, it's staff time. Councilmember Foreman. If we set a budget for a, um, a border commission, like for example, National <laughs> Services Advisory Board, is the budget set based on council direction or does the commission get to like decide what they want to do with the budget if it's falls under their education or if it falls under, um, for example, the Historic Preservation Commission wants to undertake, I believe, some type of inventory of historic property. So if a budget is assigned to that, it does it go to that and then what's left over, they vote and decide? Like I'm kind of trying to understand if a budget was assigned to a commission. So, so the, currently the only board or commission that has a budget that operates is the library board, right? So they, they maintain the finances and they, they provide that recommendation in, in, uh, to the city council. If council were to provide uh, a budget, which that would be completely at council's discretion, and, and more than likely it would be included as part of the operating budget of the department that provides that support um, for those boards or commissions, and that would, that would be a completely separate process that I don't even know that we have a, a mechanism for yet because we haven't done it to date. So if the Historic Preservation Commission was to apply for a grant based on like what Bruce was talking about through the state to maybe get the funds to do an inventory, is that something city council has to accept on behalf of the city or can the commission kind of operate that? So um, without wanting to, to step out of my lane into the finance side, it is my understanding that um, the city council would have to accept any grant, uh, but that wouldn't be the board or commission applying for that. That's city staff applying for that. So the commission can't find grants or things that they think would be good for public education and then, like, bring it to staff and then staff, like, it would be like a, it's not something the commission itself would be able to kind of undertake. That's. So there's a difference between any border commission that identifies something that would be good for the city can share that information with staff or share that with the council. That's different than having any fiduciary authority. None of the boards or commissions of the city are separate legal entities. They can't contract separately. It is all under the city of Champaign as a contracting entity. And so procurement, budgeting, expenditure of funds all falls under the standard administrative processes and authorities that the city council empowers the administration to have. So if a board or commission wanted to um, entertain certain activities that required funding, 
Council budgets the funding, it's placed in operating budgets, any contracts for services are contracted under the city of Champaign and administered by the administration because the boards and commissions are not separate from you. They are an extension of the whole governance of the city. Does that make sense? Well, it, with the exception of the library board, except that, if you recall, the library board of trustees passes and recommends a budget. That budget is still adopted by the Champaign City Council. Um, so my, I, my question about Neighborhood Service Advisory Board and kind of communication with neighborhoods about events and things like that, it's not really a question, but more so like how would that work? How would, what would that look like if we were to use the Neighborhood Services Advisory Board as an extension of, you know, communication with neighborhoods about things that happen or things that are going on? I know city staff pushes that out and we do that, but is there any way that that would be, could be incorporated or would that be us changing what they, you know, what that commission does? Uh you can amend and refine the duties and responsibilities of any board or commission. It, how that would look operationally, I would, I would defer over to the Neighborhood Services Department. Yeah, currently the staff does that, so all the, the neighborhood groups and information, um, there's opportunities that are sent out if they're public meetings or they're open um, to others. We send those usually to city council or to the advisory board, but if I understand your question, could the advisory board take that role on? Is that the question? Well, could, could they be some form of extension for communicating with the neighborhoods? Because I think their role or what the purpose of what I understand under the ordinance is to be, is to provide assistance for neighborhood service or neighborhood things. And I think that maybe there's maybe a lack of usage of, you know, what that, what that commission does in relation to communicating with the neighborhood or communicating with citizens. And they are out in the community. A lot of our neighborhood service advisory board members are involved in neighborhood groups. So I just wonder, is there any... You know, kind of more so asking, is that something staff could look at to see if that would even be possible? Not necessarily be our communication, but another extension to, you know, because we have a lot of things that happen in the community, um, you know, and so tying that in with, you know, what the community relations department is doing, I, I just wonder if that could be an avenue that could be utilized. Sure. I, I think anything would be welcome if that's the direction of council that we'd look into. Again, that gets back into refining what you expect out of these boards and commissions. So sometimes when the, the topics are broad, it, it lends itself to interpretation. So if that's something you specifically want that board or commission to do, you have the ability to write that specifically for them. Councilmember Beck. Um, this might be a question for Dorothy, but can you talk about what role the boards and commissions play or do they play currently any role in the council work plan? You, you mean the city council goals? Yes. Yes. Um, hmm. So it depends. The way, the way you guys do council goals, right? So you assign the council goals, you define your key projects, and then we take them in and kind of break them down and assign them to departments for implementation. Usually there's a lead department and then support departments for things that kind of cross multiple areas. To the extent that any of your goals involve policy work that ties directly to the mission of one of the boards and commissions, generally what staff would do is staff would 
share that information with the Border Commission, perhaps engage, like have the public discussion to invite public comment on that at the Board and Commission level before bringing it to council in a study session. Um, that's the part where Christopher had suggested that one of their roles is advisory. Sometimes they are, you'll note in a council report under community input that will actually say this was discussed at the Neighborhood Services Advisory Board, for example, and you know their comments were you know, summarized in that area. Um, it's not directly work as much as it is kind of providing one more way of engaging with the community and listening to the community as we are preparing recommendations or policy actions that we, again, roll up to council because it's all at your direction. Councilmember Gladney. Yeah. So just to clarify, so eight of these 10 boards and commissions can set their own bylaws. Correct. Um, and you're also saying, I think if I read the packet correctly, that that's something that we could amend if we want to. We, we could set the bylaws for them? Absolutely. A question I have about that is, so just as an example, like I know I've been to, you know, sat in on these, some of these board and commission meetings, and some of them have rules such as, um, like, you have to go up there, state your name, and that everything you're going to say is going to be truthful. Is that something then that that particular commission has set up? So, or is that something coming from someplace else? Well, so yeah. <laughs> some of the some of the rules, for instance, or what you're referring to, are where the board conducts a quasi-judicial hearing, let's call it, okay, or, yeah. or a public uh, or a hearing, not in the just soliciting input, but a hearing where there are, there are rights involved, perhaps. Uh, I use a board and commission that is not uh, not listed or a board that's not listed. I guess we forgot about this. Uh, I did, certainly, when I was reviewing it. Uh, the, um, the electoral board. For instance, the electoral board convenes on an ad hoc basis uh, every two years, uh, and there are, they adopt rules at the mm -hmm. time. There's no, there's no more empowering... Uh, uh, there's not an empowering ordinance. It's created completely by statute because it's part of the election process. There's some other boards and commissions uh, that have, uh, uh, and, and the electoral board has formal hearings on, uh, on election objections. You're familiar with those. So does the plan commission, so does the zoning board of appeals. Sometimes they have formal hearings where uh, property rights are at stake. Mm -hmm. They have to follow due process procedures. That's why they're sworn in, they're sworn testimony taken. Okay. So that is something that is governed outside of the of the bylaws, and that's a legal thing, correct? But the, the election board? Any of that. The due process concerns are uh, dictated by the Constitution. That's it's a requirement. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Thanks. Anyone else? Uh, so my, my question from a while ago, which now I can't remember if we've answered or not, but it uh, related to ZBA. Are we required to have a ZBA as part of our process with respect to zoning administration? Uh, not, not specifically. It's provided for in the statutes, uh, just as the plan commission is provided in the statutes. Some municipalities, uh, the city council functions as those. They don't have a plan commission or a ZBA. 
So there we, there's no recommendation, then we just have one vote on, we would have the hearing in front of the city council? Yeah, it's, it's not something, there are many city councils think is a good idea, uh, I have to say. Okay. Uh, that's why there are plan commissions and ZBAs to, to sort of get that, get that uh, the detailed uh, public analysis ahead of time so the city council has that to consider. Uh, but there are several uh, uh, up in the suburbs that that uh, have done away with those. There, all these boards and commissions vary from community to community. Some have more, some have, have less, uh, and it depends on their status as a home rule unit or not, too. I'm not suggesting we do. I just, for some reason, thought we were required to have them, so that's interesting. All right, if anyone in the audience wishes to address this issue, please step forward, state your name and city of residence, and please limit your comments to five minutes or less. Good evening, Mayor and Council. Uh, my name is Todd Satterthwaite, uh, address 502 South Elm Street in Champaign, and I'm a member of the Historic Preservation Commission. And so I appreciate you uh, reviewing all the boards and commissions. I know it can seem like a thankless task, especially if you're the mayor uh, who has to uh, appoint all of the commissioners, and it's, it's a never-ending job, I know. <clears throat> but um, uh, I think, you know, to answer a couple of the questions that have come up tonight, and one um, was that why are so many meetings canceled? And from the Historic Preservation Commission uh, point of view, it's because most of the time our meetings are by, if somebody requests a historic status or something like that, or a historic designation for their home, uh, then we're called in. Um, but we would like to do more, um, it, rather than just uh, you know, looking at historic properties, seeing if any of them want any, uh, um, you know, uh, modifications that need to be approved. Um, and we would like to do some of the things uh, um, that are uh, required of Champaign as a certified local government, such as the surveys of historic properties and historic neighborhoods. But there's never been any money in the budget to do that. And so we would really appreciate the ability to help uh, direct and even maybe volunteer for some of these activities, but we can't do it on our own. Everybody's busy. Um, you know, it takes money to do these things. And so we would, we're requesting a small amount to be put in the budget uh, for historic preservation purposes. And then we would see our role as making a recommendation to the staff on how to use that. And <clears throat> we would probably recommend that it be used to um, hire uh, some uh, consultants to be able to do um, the historic surveys and inventories and start with some of the uh, uh, active uh, neighborhoods. Uh, and, and Champaign has a little bit of history with this just recently uh, with the um, downtown historic district and where the two businessmen on Main Street or two business people on Main Street came to the city and said they wanted to create the historic district and it was recommended that they do a survey and each of the business people put in $5,000 and the city put in $5,000 to have a $15,000 pot uh, to be able to perform the survey of those historic buildings. I think that was on the order of 60 or 70 buildings in downtown Champaign. 
Um, and I guess that's been successful. It's gone through all the hoops so far and is uh, awaiting approval in uh, Washington, D.C. right now. And <clears throat> so there is a history of, of doing some of the surveys, and we would like to move it out of the business district and into uh, some of the other neighborhoods in, in Champaign. Um, so we were asking for a modest amount, maybe to start out with uh, $10,000 uh, and hope that that would be an annual allocation uh, for historic preservation. And then uh, the commission would be very happy to work with staff on uh, what the best use of uh, that money would be. Um, but <clears throat> we, um, you know, one of the things that we've noticed is that in the ordinance, it calls for historic districts and conservation districts. And in, I think, the 20-plus years that the, the ordinance has been in place in Champaign, there's not a single historic district. There's not a single conservation district. And part of that is because that groundwork has not, the surveying work has not been done. Uh, it takes a lot of documentation to be able to create a historic district or, or conservation district. And so getting that process jump-started with a, uh, uh, a small amount in the budget uh, could help to do what the ordinance envisioned when it was passed many years ago and start creating those historic and conservation districts. Um, so um, I know that one of the goals would be to uh, make serving on these volunteer boards and commissions a rewarding experience for those of us that are doing it. Uh, and I can tell you right now it's frustrating uh, to be able to, to try to do the work that we're intended to do through the ordinance since there's uh, been no money budgeted for the purpose of doing that. And I think if there was money uh, budgeted, it would not only make our work more meaningful, but it could pay big dividends uh, for the city. And um, I know that the, the uh, president of PACA sent you out an email, and one of the attachments was uh, the 24 reasons that historic preservation is good for your community, and a lot of those are economic uh, reasons and quality of life reasons. And so I think a small investment in the Historic Preservation Commission could pay big dividends in the future for the city. Thank you. And I'll be happy to answer any questions if you have them. We don't do it that way. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks. Anyone else? Please step forward. My name is Giselle Atterbury. I live at 705 West Washington. And I'm tempted at first simply to say what he said. You know, pay attention to that. Um, I am here also as a resident to ask that the Historic Preservation Commission be given some money so that a serious survey can be begun. Um, I wrote on August 29th to the Historic Preservation Commission. And, uh, of course, that was entered into the public record. And that communication consisted of my cover letter and a petition signed by my neighbors uh, following a city-related activity. A number of them were able, eager to sign a petition asking that there be a budget for the Historic Preservation Commission specifically to facilitate a survey of local buildings. And I'm asking that the City Council look favorably on that request for funds. Um, it is understood that a survey must be undertaken in a very professional manner and that there will be related associated costs. And uh, I would trust the HPC 
members to come up with the appropriate budget. I certainly applaud, as do many of my neighbors, uh, the work done by city staff to create an application for a downtown historic district, district, a national register district. I think there are many positive ramifications for the city from this. But I'd like to point out that beyond those commercial buildings, there are a host of other highly significant buildings within our community, significant for architectural style, significant for the people with whom they are associated, significant for the, the social movements with which they may be associated. So we need to know what those buildings are. And some of them may be worthy of landmark status, but that would be determined later by a survey. A number of Illinois cities, uh, including Urbana, Rock Island, Evanston, Bloomington, have been far more robust in historic preservation efforts than our own city. And to see what that entails, simply go to their city websites and look at what their HPC uh, individuals have been able to accomplish. We have superb examples which we might choose to follow. Also, we have a great and very specific starting point for an architectural survey. It is the 1974 Heitzman study, and I'm sure that at least some of the HPC members are extremely familiar with that. That was a survey done, again, many years ago for academic purposes uh, through the University of Illinois. But what it did accomplish was a list of buildings prior to that time uh, that certainly deserved attention primarily for architectural style. But of course, there are other reasons which should be investigated as well. Um, it is a study, of course, dated. Uh, it is certainly deserving of refinement. But the good news is that professionals coming in or city staff members beginning a survey uh, don't have to start at ground zero. There is some groundwork that exists. Um, as I understand Susan Apple has written to you, there are many reasons for advancing historic preservation. Uh, those reasons are rich. They're numerous. They include benefits to the local economy, benefits for sustainability efforts, and of course, all of those issues related to pride of place. Uh, please provide a budget for our HPC to begin the absolutely essential task of a proper architectural survey, one that is, in very strong words, requested by the city's certified local government status. Thanks very much. Thank you. Does anyone else wish to address council? Hi, my name is Emily Rodriguez. I am the chair of the Citizen Review Subcommittee. So I understand this tonight is kind of a preamble. Um, we are you are determining the scope and breadth of future of the reviews that are to come. So of different um, commissions and boards. Um, I have read the report. I see a, um, a constellation of a lot of different options for standardization. Some for um, guidelines for. Um, public comment and annual recommendations, which I personally would welcome. That would be very helpful. But I also see um, options for standardization that would fundamentally change the way that boards and commissions operate. Um, and those would be the response, uh, standardization of the responsibilities and procedures and duties of the boards and commissions. Um, but these options seem to orbit around a single question, um, which I think can supplement um, and accentuate the report that you've all received. And that is, what do you want boards and commissions to contribute? What do you want us to give? I've read the handbook. Um, I've gone through the same interview process that everybody else has um, to be appointed by the mayor to our position. Um, but I've 
But in the two years that I've been here, I can tell you the conversations that I've had with city council members show that the city council is not in agreement on this question. I have heard that um, we do not have any power to take away, so um, why would we be concerned with a review? I have heard that we are also, on the other end of the spectrum, um, a rubber stamp, um, that we should ignore the language of the ordinance until we are explicitly asked to act on that, um, that item by the city council. I would say that in answering this question, what do you want uh, boards and commissions to contribute, that the Citizen Review Subcommittee is a useful case study, as uh, my, other, my fellow commissioners will add. Again, I want to offer three ways that we can accentuate or supplement what you have in uh, your report. Um, the first has to deal with uh, Councilwoman Brick's questions. Uh, we can contribute a committed and ongoing conversation with the public. So in the case of the Citizen Review Subcommittee, we are a promise that for one hour, every other month, we will talk about the relationship between um, Champaign Police Department and the citizens. It's an hour-long dedication to a, to a focused conversation. So what do we do when we don't have any scheduled business? Informative presentations that can help us do our job better, that when we watch um, a dash cam or body cam, that we understand what's going on in a little bit more depth. We understand the community context. that helps us do our job better. The second is that we are independent. We are outside of the political fray. So, for example, we sought to have an informative presentation on, dis on use of discernment at the scene of uh, uh, issues that, um, sorry, of the scene of a police incident that um, involved drug possession. Um, that was nixed. But the usefulness of that is that we, uh, even though that issue does not, uh, it's not a useful campaign slogan, right? It is a question, that kind of presentation, that information that allows us to do our job better. And including the public on in that conversation uh, moves us forward as a community. And finally, um, spe specialization. Uh, the work that we do requires um, not only an understanding of police policy, um, but we are required to do 10 hours of ride-alongs, which is incredibly important to understanding uh, a complaint and how it's processed. Um, so that is not something that can, but it's also the development of discernment, right? So what is going on in that police officer's head? And we can develop that by having conversations with, with Lieutenant Professional Standards, who walks us through that report. So again, orientation is something that's deeply important. Um, and also, specialization is something that we can provide to the city council. And finally, I want to answer this goal that Councilwoman Beck raised. Um, what relationship does boards and commissions have to the work goals um, offered by the city, the missions and purposes? To me, when we're allowed to do our job fully in those three different categories that I offered, we are a barometer on how we're doing as a community. How are we achieving those work goals? How close are we getting? An example of this would be our recommendations that we offered. Our subcommittee is required to offer annual recommendations. What is not required is that Chief Cobb show up and listen to those recommendations. It is also not required that the Champaign Police Department accept those recommendations. But yet we can see that they have done so. Chief Cobb has shown up to listen to our recommendations. Didn't have to. And they've accepted many of our recommendations. So to me, this is a sign of progress. And if we curtail that um, in, by standardizing responsibilities and duties, that is something that you lose. You lose that responsiveness. So I hope that you consider that as you're, as you're determining how to proceed with these reviews. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Good evening. My name is Emily Close. I live in Champaign on Hill Street. Um, it's been 17 and a half years, apparently, since um, the, there was a study session to review the boards and commissions. So the first thing I'd say is 
maybe would like to codify some language that says maybe every three or four or five years they should be routinely reviewed. Maybe when there's a new mayor um, comes into office, that person should um, set a study session or get the signatures to get a study session. Um, I started getting involved a little bit in city government two years ago when um, I filed a a citizen's complaint against a Champaign police officer. And going through that process made me interested in getting involved in, in some more commissions. So I've been to meetings at the Plan Commission, Human Relations Commission, Citizen Review Subcommittee, and most recently the Board of Library Trustees. And I've got some practical questions that you might want to think about and incorporate um, into what you're asking um, of city staff to find out. I'd like to know why the times are so all over the map for some of them, 4.15, 4 o'clock, 4.30, and 5.30. It seems to me 4.15 and 4 and 4.30 are not conducive to the democratic process of people being able to get off work to go to a 4.15 meeting. Um, I would like to know what the rationale is behind those times, and maybe you would, you would think about um, looking into that. Um, also, as a citizen, it's extremely frustrating to try to get information. I've spent hours trying to chase down um, minutes from different meetings. Um, I've talked to people all over the place that keep referring me. I've talked to Jeff Hamilton in communications. I've talked to Laura Hall and city attorney, um, assistant city attorney, rather. Um, I've talked to um, chairs, I've talked to department heads. It would be really helpful for me if there was like a clearinghouse, maybe a spreadsheet where someone could say, okay, the, the minutes were approved for each commission, they will be posted. Um, the closed session meeting the minutes were not approved, so they're not posted. It's, it's really confusing, and I'm trying to participate in my local government, and um, I just think that, you know, that we can do better. Um, some of the meetings are finally being broadcast, like the Board of Police Commissioners, Board of Police and Fire Commissioners. I think that started in September. But I went and looked at the minutes for those, and I am going to um, agree with Mr. Stock. The, me the meetings, if they're five minutes, that's like a, that's a um, barn burner. They've been one to two minutes, and I've and I it's not it's I think it's I think that's disgraceful, quite frankly. If you can't even sit in your chair and come up with enough business, what's the point of having that meeting at all? If if your coffee doesn't even get cold, or you don't even have to put a nickel or quarter in the parking meter, what what is the point? You know. Um, also, I think we should get some integrity in the um, the process where these members are selected. I think maybe that should be part of your review. I printed out today the, um, the application. It's three pages, and I don't know if it's been the same for 17 and a half years, but um, I've got some questions about it. I'd like to know, um, it sounds like people are self-selecting or self-identifying if they have a conflict of interest. I'm a citizen. What if I think a chair or a member has a conflict of interest? How do I make that known? Who do I make that known to? Um, I'd like to see a spreadsheet of when people take the OMA, I think, the, the training. You're required to take that. 
Does everybody take it? I'd like to see um, that on a spreadsheet, and I don't think I should have to file a FOIA to get that. Um, also, apparently, these applications go offline, or they're not available after two years. Um, uh, I, I think they should be up there permanently. I think you should be able to get them through a FOIA. Um, I think the process could be a lot friendlier to people who participate, and um, I don't think we should be waiting uh, 17 and a half years to do this. Anyone else? Uh, hi, Council. Alexandra Harmon Threat. I'm a Champion resident and a member of the Citizen Review Subcommittee. I just have a few remarks. Um, first, I'd like to start by thanking the City Council and the, all the citizens who worked to create the Citizen Review Subcommittee. It was the city and community's commitment to meeting the noble goals of making our community better, safer, and more trusting that led to the creation of the CRS. Um, the Citizen Review Board was created ultimately to give a voice to some of the most vulnerable in our community whose trust in the systems meant to protect them have been violated. Although only two and a little over two years old, in this short time, the CRS, through both reviews and recommendations to the Champaign Police Department, has seen improvement in the process of complaints and police procedures. I'm incredibly thankful for the Champaign Police Department and Chief Cobb's willingness to hear our concerns, um, address them, and improve. It shows a real commitment to our community and to the process of citizen review. Moving forward, I believe that we as a subcommittee, uh, with the help of the Champaign Police Department and with proper support from City Council, could actually be even more impactful. Um, as a citizen reminded us as, at the last CRS meeting in January, our city has noble guiding principles, many of which directly relate to the success of this committee, including being a forward-thinking city that anticipates opportunities and trends that will transform our community and being a city that strives to ensure that all residents have an excellent quality of life. Uh, the Citizen Review Subcommittee can help achieve these guiding principles and strengthen the relationships between the city and its residents. I'm hopeful that through this review, we can identify ways uh, to make the CRS more impactful for those citizens that need it most, because the data shows that citizen review can work and work incredibly well. In a 2016 article published in Police Quarterly, in, um, eight, in cities where police investigations were followed by external citizen review, um, those decisions were more likely to be sustained, and the authors hypothesized that this is because the external review process improves the internal review process um, of complaints. So just knowing that there's an additional group of eyes that are going to be seeing this. Uh, but some aspects identified in a, uh, the Seton uh, Hall Law Review of 2016 as being critical to effective civilian review are actually missing from the current uh, Citizen Review Subcommittee. These recommendations included things like um, independent investigative authority, public access, secure funding, and a broad scope to review complaints. While some of these things are beyond the current needs of our, of our committee, a few small changes would help us be the forward-thinking city laid out in the guiding principles. These include um, just two things I'm going to uh, recommend that we consider, including actually police and the name of the subcommittee. This is something that citizens have actually brought up. They're like, how do we know that that's what you do? Because your name is super ambiguous. Um, public access is considered one of these key issues for citizen review, and it's mentioned for uh, having an effective review and having a title that's ambiguous uh, makes achieving some of our uh, current responsibilities like outreach very difficult, even if you tell someone, like, we're here to help you through citizen review. Citizen review of what is not, is not super specific. 
um, and allowing the citizens, the subcommittee to have citizens present their cases directly to the subcommittee. This is something that came up in our recommendations, and the, um, the response from the police department was that that's something that city council would actually have to enact in order for it to be um, to move forward. Uh, but it, the independent ability to investigate is one of these characteristics considered critical to effective civilian review. Uh, with these modest changes, we believe we can be, uh, better achieve the responsibilities as outlined in our ordinance that created the, com uh, the committee, um, including providing appropriate outreach to the community, um, which is uh, Section 2-534 and Section 2-537, which is reviewing the thoroughness of the investigation. We'd like to remind the council that when this process was started, we had few formal directions of how to proceed. And through trial and error, we've actually uh, found our footing and have seen success in improving the process and working with the police department. The feedback, the feedback from citizens is one of hope, and with the council's help and support, we can re uh, further refine the Citizen Review Subcommittee uh, and make it an impactful group that, the city, that this city can be proud of. Thank you for your consideration. Thank you. Anyone else? Good evening. My name is Melissa Keeble. I'm also a member of the Citizen Review Subcommittee. I just wanted to ask that as the council moves forward, there are three... Um, issues slash questions that stood out to me as I was reading this report this past weekend. There's been mention of there being broad duties, that the duties um, that boards and commissions are charged with are believed to be too broad, allowing each commission to, I think the word was self-define. I want to, I want to ask, do you think that do you think that it was an oversight when the city council first wrote this ordinance in the duties that they gave us? Or do you think there could have been a purpose for such broad use of words? If you do believe it was an intentional use of words, what could those purposes have been? Also, as, as the council uh, begins to clarify... The words are clarify the expectations for different boards and commissions. I'd like to know what, what device, what tool, what's, what's going to be used? Um, how do we know what that process will look like? Under number seven, which is the evaluation or review of specific commissions, it's, see, I'm, I'm just not certain on what the process will be for requesting um, a review of a certain board or commission. Like I said, these are just questions. I know I can't get the answers right now, but it would be great if we could at, at, at some point, because I don't imagine I'm the only person um, with some of these questions. And lastly, under discussions of alternatives, the first alternative is directing the staff to um, draft the policy or, or code language, and there's four advantages listed. Number, I'm going to start with numbers two, three, and four. Numbers two, three, and four are very measurable, objective advantages. The first quote advantage has a potential to be fairly concerning um, to somebody that's very, um, very interested in being able to provide independent investigation for our citizens. It reads that uh, we will provide better guidance to boards and commissions on how to meet council's expectations. So the boards and commissions will receive 
better guidance on how to meet council's expectations. I think from a, from a, I'm going to say from a skeptical perspective, but from some citizens' perspectives, that can be read as how the council is going to limit the process, the relevance, how they want to control the outcomes of different boards and commissions. So I would appreciate as we move forward if we could have some further information on how these, um, how these study sessions will be implemented. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Good evening. I'm Rick Weibel. I'm a resident of Champaign. And first, I want to acknowledge the work that went into this. Uh, having tried to read and understand all of these things over time, I got confused. And this, actually, the document the staff produced offered some real nice clarity in terms of the roles all in one place. So the effort is very helpful. <clears throat> Excuse me. My understanding of why the review was requested in the first place comes from listening to a council meeting in the fall and hearing some tension between council board members and members of the community about what those roles and relationships were between various stakeholders and what the board's function, boards and commission's functions were in relationship to community and citizens. I can appreciate that that's a really complex problem as a, as a kind of a sociological mix of people and interests and, and legal rules and roles as well as just it's in my neighborhood, it's my house, it's my street, what do you know about it? that our interests are quite competing in that space. Um, I think that this gap question is one that I don't see addressed really in the report, except in the statement F, which uh, Christopher didn't really spend much time referencing. And that has to do with the question of efficacy. You can articulate a beautiful purpose statement and set of roles and the way a board should, and commission should run itself. But what do the people think about how it's working and representing their interests? If someone comes to me as a member of the Neighborhood Services Advisory Board, do they feel like they're being represented, their interests become represented on that board, or get advanced to the, to the council or not? Do you know the answer to that question? My hunch is that sometimes the tension that you actually see in council chambers as issues flare up, whether they're about zoning or about schools or about safety in the neighborhoods or about the police, speak to a questions of efficacy of various kinds of communications tracks. So I would encourage that you actually look at the section F that asks you if you want to study relevance and how they're working to in actually move in that direction. Because one thing that is clearly missing from this report is any reflection of what community members think our boards and commissions are doing. I wasn't asked as a citizen. I wasn't asked as a board member. As you do your review, you might want to put that in the mix of, is this a, an appropriate next step for your work? I fully appreciate that isn't an easy ask. I fully appreciate that. But I do think as you m wrestle with the question about what should these boards be doing, part of what you want to better understand is what are they doing as far as folks in the community do perceive, 
but also thinking about the relationship between y'all and members of those boards. What are, you, are you getting what you need from the boards? Are the boards structured in a way that are serving you well? Are they serving the staff well in that function? So there's an efficacy question that I would certainly encourage you to put on your table for discussion as you do that, and that that cannot be done well without involving a broader swath of the members of the community. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else who wishes to address the council? Before we go back to council, I just want to take a minute to thank everyone for being here. As I look out, most of the faces I see are board and commission members, and you all volunteer your time on behalf of the city, and you've taken your time tonight. So thank you all for being here and to the other citizens who are present. Council comment. Anybody? No council comment? Why do I have to be the one that goes first? Okay, I will go first. Um, okay, so I think that this is a good process because there's, um, there's I think, a need for us to be able to um, complete the tasks that we set about every year. And every couple years we make our broad goals as a council and we say these are the things we want to accomplish as a city. And clearly one of the biggest pieces that we're, we need for those is public input and public comment and public help. And in order to do those um, in, in a most, most efficient way, we need people to help us get that public input. And I think that one of the things that I'd like for us to do is to refine that process so that there's a better communication from uh, boards and commissions to council so that we can get better information about um, what we're trying to do as far as our goals and what we can, what kinds of information we can get from um, our boards and commissions to help us get to that place of um, attaining the goal. So to kind of look at the things that you had asked us and then to expand on some of those as well, um, a definition of purpose and duties I think is, is imperative in that process because I think that um, it will help us to um, have a better communication between, um, count between commissions and boards and council and it'll allow us to have um, a better idea about what we're asking boards and commissions to achieve on our behalf. Um, I think that there, when we look at ordinances in general, they can be broadly written, and the, can, the, the language can be confusing when you're talking about asking people to achieve certain objectives. And um, I think what's confusing about the way in which our broadly written goals are for boards and commissions isn't that they're broadly written, it's that there's no mechanism for how and when those things should be undertaken. So they may be the broad categories for which we want people to have input or to provide um, feedback about or to even uh, engage in um, project discussion about, but there's no, nothing written or codified in there about when they will be told that they're, or how they're going to be asked to do those duties. So I think that that's where the confusion and the push and pull comes from, 
is that there's no under, real understanding. Maybe on, on either side, there's not a complete understanding of what the expectations are there. So while, for example, um, the Historic Preservation Commission or the zoning board, this, let's take the zoning board, may have a whole list of things that they um, can do as a zoning board, they don't have to do all of those things all of the time because it's not going to be necessary for them to undertake all of those things all of the time. But there are times in which we have to review our zoning for different reasons, and then they will be asked to do that. So I think that there needs to be a better codifying of how that happens and how then staff is interrelated in that. Because the way in which I understand it is that council receives information through staff. Staff is our pipeline from us down to or through to commissions and boards and then back up to council. So I think that there's uh, confusion about how that conversation happens sometimes. And I think if that's better codified, that could be helpful. Um, I think also that the annual report to council is a great idea. If we actually included that as something that we, was an expectation, I think then we always know that there will be that, at least that mode of communication between boards and commissions and council. Um, attendance standards, of course. Um, and formalized orientation, I think, is very helpful when it comes to things like understanding what OMAM really does mean, that you may not talk with each other outside of board and commission meetings about anything to do with city business that you are responsible for because you're being asked to do that in a public space. So um, making sure that that public process is abided by and make sure that it's respected so that, um, so that we don't have any misunderstandings about that. That's really important to me. And to that end, I really want to follow up on the fact that I think that we need to have a better way of providing for communication to and from board members and that that needs to be through the city rather than personal uh, communications. Um, and having that as a way for people to communicate We'll make it easier for lots of reasons, but it's actually going to be a better thing for you board and commission members because that way we don't have to go into your private emails and your private com conversations to look for public information that we need. Um, and so that's, that's, that's something I think that uh, everybody would benefit from. Um, and then uh, one of the things that I'm, I'm interested in also looking at is the the bylaws and the meeting rules that we abide by, um, there are, I think that there will be some differences that will have to happen. So I think that there, we can't just have a blanket, this is the bylaws of all of our, of all of our committees because there will be some differences in how that needs to happen. But I think that, that there can be some more standardization of the practice there. One of the things that I noticed is that the composition of the boards and commissions is there's different numbers of boards and commissioners on lots of on all the different boards. And maybe we need to review that number and see what is an appropriate number and an appropriate composition. Um, some of our boards and commissions actually have specifications for what roles we need to have represented on those commissions. Maybe we need to actually look at further codifying that for some of our boards and commissions about what roles people need to be representing. And maybe that's something that would be beneficial, in, for example, in our neighborhood services or, um, or maybe even in our uh, 
in our um, uh, plan commission because I think that uh, you know our plan commission has a very is very heavy on a particular demographic, um, but I think that it would be good to have a, a wider demographic there. Maybe by forcing that to happen, we can we can make that representation wider. Um, so I think that there needs to be a better look at, at that as well to try to make our, our representation broader. Um, so uh, I think that the one last thing that I do want to talk about is um, what times our meetings are. I think is has continually been uh, something that I've had citizens talk to me about that they don't feel like they have um, an ability to come to meetings because they're in the workplace and that does not provide for an open uh, dialogue for people to have um, because they're working and they can't come so they're not able to make their voice heard unless they're just writing so one of the ways I know that some people have tried to do that is to write board and commission members, and that's not always received in the way that they had expected. And so I think that that can be a confusing process for people to understand how that process works, either on the board and commission side or by the individual citizen. And so I think that one of the ways we can help to make that better is by changing the time of day for the meeting. Um, and then lastly, I do want to emphasize the fact that I think that boards and commissions need to play a better role in our goals and how we make the, our goals happen. Um, if we are looking to achieve certain goals as a council and we have all of these boards and commissions that are there to help us achieve those goals, then we need to be connecting our goals to our boards and commissions rather than just having our blanket sort of these are the things that are going on over here in boards and commissions while we're over here working on these things, and then there's no connection between the two. Um, all right, those are my comments for now. Thank you very much. Who's next? Councilmember Gladney. Sure, yes. All right, so I've got some notes here, so these are some of my thoughts on what I've read about what I've experienced being on my time on council with the boards and commissions, what I've heard from folks tonight and the communications we've received. Um, so the first thing I'll say is I hate to use the word problem when talking about this, but for lack of a better word I can think of right now, if this is a problem that we're having to kind of address, I actually think it's a good problem in the sense that what we're seeing is people want to do more. People want to be more involved. That's what I'm, that's a big takeaway that I'm getting from this. Um, they want to do more for the community. These are people who have stepped up, who have volunteered uh, to um, work with the city for the citizens of Champaign uh, for the betterment of the city. And they want to do more, right? Uh, and so I think, I think that's great. It's a good, good problem to have. Um, some of my thoughts, and uh, Councilmember Beck has already talked about a lot of this, but... Um, and I'm not going to try. I'm going to try not to skip around, and so it's a little bit coherent here. So um, I will talk about the times of the meetings. So before I talk about the times of the meetings, I do want to say I think we should be a little careful of not being first shift centric. Um, I don't know what percentage of the city works first shift, you know, gets off at like four or five o'clock, right? There's plenty of people here who work second shift. There's plenty of people here who, um, you know, don't have bankers' hours that you know make, can can make a five o'clock or seven thirty meeting. Um, so when we talk about wanting to make the meetings more accessible, I think we should be careful that we're not speaking completely from a first shift centric perspective on that. 
That being said, I get it. A lot of people work during the day, um, and for them it would be easier to make a meeting that starts at 7 or whenever. And I, I tend to agree with that. As someone who works for a shift, there are some board and commission meetings that I just can't make. We have community coalition meetings smack in the middle of the afternoon that I often can't be at because of you know, um, being at work. And I'm sure there's others who are in that same boat. Uh, and there have been, like, plan commission meetings, for example, that I've been an hour late to because they start, like, at 4, I think, and uh, 4.30. And, yeah, I mean, I'm still at work at that time. And I'm sure not alone in that. So that's something I think we might want to look at is maybe a, a later start time. Of course, that has to work out for the folks who are already on these boards and commissions. Um, but going forward, looking at that. Um, I think we had a speaker earlier that mentioned, you know, how, and I'm going to paraphrase here, I think, but how, what does the public think of how these boards and commissions are doing their job? You know, and what are the expectations of the public? That is a, a little more difficult to gauge with these, um, but I think we would welcome any feedback on that. Um, defining the purpose and the duties of the boards and commissions, I think, is is paramount. Now, I think they need to be individualized. So, like, it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all, obviously, uh, for these. But I do think that some of these are... These by, the expectations that are set out are uh, a little nebulous. Um, and I do think that... Well, I don't know. We could sit here and wonder what the intent was of the wording until the cows come home. Um, but I know I've been in situations, as I'm sure probably everyone in this room has been in a situation, where you have a conversation with someone, you say something, intending something in your, in your head based on what's coming out of your mouth, and the other person listening to you hears something completely different, or they interpret it completely differently. And I think you see that when you know, guidelines are set out for things. And so if we need to be more specific, that's good. Um, as far I feel like the, some of these boards and commissions are looking for more things to do, which I said earlier is a good problem to have. Um, but the word I keep coming back to is expectations. So what would, you know, if, if boards and commissions want to do more, um, what would be the expectations based upon what they're doing? And what, what are the outcomes that they're looking for for this? Um, so things like guest speakers and, and different topics to discuss are, um, are good. But what I also want to be careful of, and this is more so for the, for the public, is that, that there is not an expectation presented necessarily that there will be action taken based on a discussion or based on a public speaker coming and saying something. I know that's something I think we try to be careful about here is you know, when we discuss things here, I feel like we, you know, if, if we're at the point where we're discussing them, then we're definitely at the point where we're possibly considering doing something. Um, so what I want to make sure is that if boards and commissions start undertaking a lot of discussion or a lot of public outreach or, or whatever, that they're doing so not just to do it, but doing so with an expectation that something might happen because of it. And that, I think, plays into... Um, and I'm not opposed to that, per se. Uh, you know, I think they're there, the boards and commissions are here to complement um, city council and city staff 
and the citizens of Champaign. Um, but I think there needs to be some coordination with all of that. Everyone needs to be on the same page. You can't have boards and commissions out here doing this, and city council doing this, and staff doing that. Um, it needs to be coordinated. Um, I do think, uh, I do agree with what's been mentioned here about um, granting city emails for board and commission members and having that be the direct way of communication. Also, Open Meeting Act standards, um, particularly as it pertains to social media. Um, let's see here. So doing more, so, so with these commissions and, and, and boards potentially doing more, I do have concerns about the impact of staff time. Um, that's why I had questions earlier about, you know, just sort of a, a, a historical data on that. Um, because I think we try and take that into account as well as council about, okay, how is something that we're going to request, how will that impact staff time? Um, so I think that should be a consideration uh, for boards and commissions as well. I'm not saying I'm not trying to limit it. I'm just saying it should be a consideration. Um, the money for the boards is... I, I think we need to first kind of clarify our expectations on things before we start talking about money. Um, kind of we need to know, okay, what are these boards and commissions, you know, going to be doing that will require the money? And will we be treating them all equally? Will we give all the boards and commissions the same amount of money? Or will it be some boards get money and some don't? Or some boards, you know, get this amount of money and some boards get that? And what will we be basing that on? That's why I think we feel like we have to clarify all these expectations and duties first. Because um, we want, um, ultimately, for these boards and commissions to be uh, effective. And so that's, those are my thoughts. Councilmember Bruno. <clears throat> Um, well, Councilmember Gladney um, not only said a lot of the things that I had on my mind, but he actually said one size fits all, and that was one of the notes I'd scribbled down because I wanted to talk about the one size fits all uh, problem. <clears throat> the, the meeting times issue is very problematic, and I hadn't thought of uh, the terminology first shift centric, but it's spot on uh, because when we ask, when people say, you know, I'm interested in serving the city, I'd like to be on a border commission, we get a different mix of people if we say, well, we'd like you to meet monthly, but it's going to be on a Thursday evening. Oh, well, I, I don't want to do that. I've got, maybe I've got small children at home and I want to help them with their homework or maybe Thursday evenings aren't a good time for me. Well, we do have this other border commission, but they meet during the daytime. For somebody else, they say, well, I can't get off work, but yet another person might say, that's perfect. I'm self-employed, or my, you know, in our family, we work short shifts, and, and I could come in a, to a morning meeting or an afternoon meeting. So it's not an easy problem to solve, and anybody following the... Uh, upheaval in Pyatt County over board meeting times, um, it has become the source of, uh, you know, criminal charges. Um, but 
so there's not always an easy answer to when when's a good time for a board to meet. The plan commission, I, I look at the list of the people on there and I wonder how many of them would like to still be on the plan commission if this became an evening job as opposed to four o'clock in the afternoon. Sometimes the work of government takes place during the daytime and we expect these meetings to be staffed by, by employees of the city. So is it, is it a prudent expenditure of taxpayer dollars to um, have all of our boards and uh, commissions meet outside of typical American daytime working hours when this building is regularly open and have it open several nights a week? It's all complicated, and and uh, and I think one size doesn't fit all, and so we should continue to leave it to boards and commissions to make individualized decisions about what works best for them. With respect to the budgeting question, um, it doesn't strike me as an unreasonable request that we ought to consider spending money on <clears throat> historic preservation. Mm -hmm. But, the, but for many taxpayers in the community who talk to uh, we elected officials, the notion of saying, well, we decided to give this group $50,000 and we said, here's $50,000, find something to spend it on, would not be very politically palatable. The, a lot of members of the public don't like government budgeting its money, sort of, here's some money go figure out the best way to spend it. Uh, they'd like it to be more needs driven. So while we can be presented with an argument as to we really need to do this survey and we can make a decision about whether or not uh, to spend taxpayers' money on a survey, the notion of give us a budget, we'll find out a, a good way to use it isn't how we operate. Um, we don't just get a pile of money to spend and then figure out a good way to use it. It's a needs-driven analysis of how much we tax people to pay for the cost of government. With respect to well-meaning citizens who are looking for more things to do, all of those civic engagement efforts don't necessarily have to come in the form of organized government. There are groups and organizations in our community that have as their goals a lot of these same goals that our boards and commissions have. Uh, for instance, there's the American Civil Liberties Union. There's the Preservation and Conservation Association. There's a lot of places where people can put in their, um, their good work towards the betterment of their community. Uh, and there's plenty of opportunities for civic involvement that don't necessarily come under the auspices of formal government boards and commissions. With respect to calculation of how many hours go to support the boards and commissions, last week, seven days ago, we had a city council meeting that lasted about 14 minutes. Uh, but a lot more staff time went into the 14 minutes we gathered and voted on a $2 million worth of vendor payments and a $1 million worth of payroll and, a, and half a dozen ordinances. Hours went into the preparation of those ordinances, the study behind them, and the fact that we could come and in 15 minutes vote them up or down isn't reflective of, boy, you, you guys have nothing to do. It's like the uh, 
Police and Fire Commission. They uh, approve hiring lists. They don't prepare the hiring lists during those five-minute meetings. They come and they approve them, and that's statutory. That's what they do. So the fact that their meetings don't take a long time, just like our meeting a week ago that was only 15 or 14 minutes long, uh, doesn't necessarily mean that that's all the time it took to consider all those ordinances, do the work on them, make a report on them, and, and vote on them. Uh, I think we all really appreciate the efforts of the various boards and commissions, but boy, they're real different too. You know, the Zoning Board of Appeals, um, uh, if they start having guest speakers, I'm not sure that's an effective use of um, their time or city resources. And what, what are we to do as a city when boards and commissions decide to have a speaker that maybe not everybody thinks is, um, whose message maybe a lot of the community doesn't agree with? I'm all for um, diverse opinions, but it would be, it, maybe a lot of people would find it troubling if one of our boards or commissions went off in a different political angle and started bringing in guest speakers that many in our community found were espousing um, really objectionable things. They say, was that what my government is supposed to be doing, is bringing in a speaker? Those are things that have a place in our society but not necessarily as a, uh, as a presentation being made by a unit of government. Um, because when we get into uh, being the disseminators of the message, we get perilously close to infringing on uh, First Amendment issues. And, uh, and I don't know that our boards and commissions ought to be uh, the unit that's responsible for bringing in speakers with particular points of view. I'd like them to remain a little bit more neutral. Angie. Councilmember Bricks. Thank you for your presentation and thank you for all of you who serve on our boards and commissions. And I think one of the most important things is that if someone is asked to serve or they agree to serve, that the work is meaningful. And so if we keep finding ourselves that there's never a topic, then I think that's something we need to look at. And maybe as part of um, adding clarity and consistency and defining purpose and duties and you know, making sure there's coordinated efforts on all fronts, I think it would be worthwhile to get some feedback from each of the boards and commissions about what they feel they're doing or not doing or what they feel that they're tasked to do but they're not doing. Um, or that they feel that they're doing well. I just feel like there's a lot of disconnect, and since we haven't reviewed this in a really long time, maybe half these things we don't even need to begin with. Um, I like the idea of annual reports to council. Um, I think it should probably be left to the boards and commissions in terms of a public comment policy. Um, although, yeah, well, and I think because a lot of times the issues that are discussed at the boards and commissions are things that haven't yet come to council, and it's kind of the first time where we're able to hear sort of public comment and what people are thinking and what they have concerns about, and so maybe it's a little bit longer than what we've got. But I think um, 
city staff and the boards and commissions can maybe help determine what some of that is. Um, I do agree that there needs um, to have attendance standards. If people are gonna make the commitment, then um, I think that's a minimum requirement. I like the OMA certifications. Um, you know, I think, and I like the formalized orientation too. And one of the thing is, things is, is that I think you do have a lot of people who wanna do meaningful work. And if we, and if it says that you're to do surveys or that's a big part of your work, or especially um, with the Historic Preservation Commission, you know, if that's what you're tasked to do, how can we get grant funding to help with surveys or to have someone do that if, if there aren't any funds for that? And maybe it's, I don't know if it's just specifically designated in a planning budget that so much will be set aside and it's not the boarding commission or whatever, but it's sort of an overarching goal. I don't know how all that works, but, um, but you know, if we say this is what your role is and then there's no mechanism to allow that role, then why do we have that boarding commission? And so, you know, I think if, if that's what we're going to do, then we need to be able to provide at least some funds to be able to make that happen. Um, I like the idea of the city emails. I like the idea too of coordinating with council goals. And then that way we're all sort of moving towards the same, the same things. And I think that's a really important piece that we're all consistent in that manner too. Thanks. This side, council member Kyles. As, all, as, as already been expressed, um, definitely would like to thank staff, like to thank all of the, the volunteers who sign up for the boards and commissions. There isn't a lot that has not, has been said that I, I mean, as far as defining purpose and goals, annual reports to policy, um, allow uh, OMA certifications, attendance stand, I mean, those things I would be in agreement with. And again, um, letting the board decide their public comment policy is, I mean, I'm not really overly passionate either, either way. I believe that they would know what would be best. As far as standardizing city emails, uh, coordinating uh, council goal time, not goal times, but coordinating with council during um, our goal setting and has been kind of put out by Alicia and then talked about throughout the rest of the our council member Beck and talked about throughout the the rest of the um, city council members, I would be in agreement with that time as it pertains to allowing more public um, citizen engagement. Um, obviously, it's been an issue that has been brought up over the years and looking to see how we could improve that. I like council member Bricks's, um, whether it was discretionary funding or they fought, fell under um, the planning department as it pertained to um, um, as it pertained to the surveys or, you know, I, I agree in with that process. And ultimately, you know, one of the, the, the boards that or subcommittees or committees that obviously there's a lot, a lot of passion in and ultimately all of the, the commissions is to not only keep people passionate, but just to, I think that all of this is, is, is to establish guidelines and rules that in our passion that we all 
that there's a definition and there's a purpose, and it allows us to always be respectful towards each other. I think sometimes, even in my passion, I have to be careful because I could come off one way, and it's not really that I'm trying to be um, disrespectful, disrespectful or anything personally, but I could see how if I'm not careful, my words can be strong enough that rub people the wrong way. So I think that all of these things kind of bring us to a get-together where there's a general understanding. Um, you know, I, I, thank, I'm, well, I, was gonna, I thank God for the progress that's been made as it pertains to the, you know, um, community police relationships. And I thank Chief Cobb and the police department for uh, their involvement. I also thank the citizens, volunteers, staff for their engagement as well. As it pertains to, uh, I don't think that any of this would um, change police involvement and engagement. I don't think that, um, I think that this is that's a, a, one of the values of the police department, uh, particularly led by Chief Cobb, is to, to, to listen and to hear. And so um, I would always be interested in listening to, the, looking at the recommendations and reviewing them. I know personally I tend to, I always ask Chief Cobb, you know, hey, what, before I say yes or no to something or whether I'm in agreement to that, I tend to defer because there may be something that I, I'm missing. I'm listening to the people on the streets. I'm listening to the individuals that are uh, in our leadership as well as, you know, what's uh, possible and what's not. Maybe there's some law I'm missing. Maybe there's something I'm missing and trying to bridge the gap. So, um, I guess I say all that to say that I don't believe that any of the commissions and boards, board and commissions are, um, I would not expect anyone to put a, a rubber stamp or just to go through the process. That um, would be a, uh, a waste of time on, on, both, on all three sides, I suppose, staff, council, volunteer, board commission. So those would be my comments and just generally uh, agreeing with everyone what everyone has said and adding some of the uh, some additional comments councilmember stock I think I probably well I've served on three either currently serve or have served on three different boards or commissions so I kind of am practicing what I preach a little bit on this one I think I think the biggest question though having served on a few uh, of these is are they meaningful and I think that's the question that that it's pretty broad right at this particular moment and it probably varies by the board and commission but I think that either staff the commissions themselves us I think we need to really think about are they meaningful is a and I'm not I'm not bashing board of police fire commissioners I just happen to have been on it so I can speak <coughs> um, you know if you have 12 meetings a year that are no more than four minutes apiece is that meaningful is it if it takes more time to walk into the building than the meeting actually lasts is that meaningful? It would sort of be the equivalent of us coming in here and approving the vouchers and payroll every week and then turn around and walking out the door and doing nothing else. So, and if they're not meaningful, then what can we do to make them meaningful? I'm not advocating we get rid of them, but can police and fire talk about recruiting and where we are in recruit? You know, those kinds of things. Um, I also, do, I also am cognizant though that I don't want to add staff responsibilities because staff already has things to do, obviously. Uh, but I think that as we look at all of these in historic preservation, HPC case. 
I got off HPC, I'll be real honest, because we weren't doing anything. It was frustrating to even show up after a while. We were busy for a while, and then we kind of hit where we just kind of came, you know, and there wasn't much going on. So what can we do to make that more meaningful? Is, is that doing the historic survey? And if so, is it our job as a city? I think it is, to provide funding to do that. Now, I agree with Councilmember Bruno. I don't want to just say, okay, here's $10,000, figure out how to spend it. But if you walk in and say, we did, you know, we figured out it was going to cost us $6,856 to do a historical survey, then maybe it's our job to find $6,856 if that's what it is. I think that we need to give these commissions the tools that they need in order to provide the function that we've asked them to provide. So if that's financial, if that's staff, now, understanding that there are other priorities beyond just that commission. Um, to Councilmember Bricks's point about annual reports, um, currently we ask for reports from just a few of the commissions. Perhaps one of the things that we could do, again, don't want to throw this on staff necessarily, but perhaps one of the things we can do is get a report from each commission each year, not just what have we done, but also what are recommendations that members of that commission, this goes to the point about how do we know how the commission feels about, or the board members or whatever, how do we know about how they feel about what they're <clears> doing? <throat> so maybe there is a section on those reports that is written by the members of the commission that is approved by them saying, these are things that we recommend in the future. These are things that we feel like we should be doing. You know, that could be successes. It could be concerns. It could just simply be recommendations about what we think we should be doing, what, what we as a commission or what they as a commission or board think that they should be doing that they're not able to do for whatever reason, okay? Could be financial, could just be time-consuming, whatever. Um, as far as public comment times, I would certainly, I would personally lean on the side of making it uniform throughout the boards and commissions, simply because if you watch city council every Tuesday night and you know that there's a five-minute time limit, and you show up at the planning commission or you show up at HPC or you show up at whatever, and you assume there's a five-minute time limit because every Tuesday night they have a five-minute time limit. And actually you only have three for that commission. And you've planned to have stuff to say for five minutes. I think that it's – I don't think it's much to ask to have some uniformity and simple procedural sort of stuff like that. I think that that's really pretty, pretty simple. Um, as far as removal for attendance, it, it seems to me that – the number three in that section in the event the mayor believes that such removal is in the best interest of the city. That could be because of attendance. So I don't, I, to me it's redundant personally. I mean, I don't know that the attendance spelled out really necessarily matters. That would be a simple, you don't show up to any meetings, so therefore it's not in the best interest of the city for you to continue on. Um, let's see, what are they? City email, yes. And yes, and yes, and yes. Um, <clears throat> So that's pretty much the, the basic gist of it, but I really do think, and this is, there's so much in this, which is good, uh, but there's so much in this that I almost, I said to Councilmember Becker, I don't even know where to start because there's so much, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to go commission by commission by commission. Um, so I'm sort of speaking very, very generally, obviously. But I do think, though, that, that staff and the commissions themselves really need to talk about what are we doing here. Um, you don't really want to have meetings just to have a meeting because it says we meet on the second Tuesday, so we'll meet on the second Tuesday. Um, the time piece, though, I completely agree with Councilmember Bruno about that, that different commissions, it may work well to work, you know, maybe, Bruce, what, how long does a planned commission meeting typically last? I know it varies, a, but, you know, uh, hour or less, generally. Okay. So, I mean, if you move those till 5 o'clock, well, now you're getting into people's picking up their kids' time or you're getting into people's dinner time. or you're, You know, so there, there's a reason I assume that some of these meetings are when they are, and 
I assume that that's not just a staff convenience, but that's probably also a commission convenience. And when you join that commission, you know when this this is when the commission meets. So um, I, I get it that it's not going to be convenient for everybody, but you could make it at 7 o'clock, and it's not going to be convenient for everybody then either. Or you could make it at 9 in the morning, and it won't be convenient for everybody then either. So, I mean, it, that's just the nature of the nature of a city of 86,000 people. So that's kind of my, my basics. But, again, just keep going back to that. What are those commissions doing, and maybe what aren't they doing, and what can we do to support them and what they want to do? Because, again, these are people that volunteer. They don't have to show up, you know, once a month for this meeting. There are people that are giving their time and effort to come here. So thank you for your report, though, Liz. Councilmember Foreman. Um, so <coughs> a few things that I wanted to say just because I was listening to the council. One of the first things that um, I heard from um, someone speaking was, you know, does the community, do, do the citizens understand what the commissions and boards do? And I'm not really 100% sure if I just grabbed a couple of people from the community and asked them what each, if we have commissions and what they do, if they would know. Are we educating the public enough about the commissions and boards? Are we doing that? Can we do more to educate them about what they do and that they have access to these other boards and commissions? Um, and, and how they relate to, you know, city business, I think that's important. So on our end, I want to know, you know, can we do more education around the purposes of the boards and commissions? Um, also, something that Councilmember Burks brought up that I think is a really good point is, you know, having commissions just to have commissions to meet to meet is, you know, some things could just be an email. Everything doesn't have to be a meeting. It doesn't require that. And so I want to be careful that when we are, you know, talking about what the commission's jobs are and what their meaning, you know, what their meaning is, is that, per, is, that, is that meaning going to serve a purpose that is bettering the citizens? So um, for HPC, um, I have no problem with a one-time funding for them, for a budget, for them, for a survey, or even potentially having staff, directing staff to work with them to apply for grants through the state or um, through, I'm, ton, I'm sure there's tons of funds for historic preservation in, the, in, the, uh, in our country. Um, so, you know, I would like to look at those kind of things. I, I'm not sure about a recurring budget because, um, and I sit in a different position than most of the council members, but um, every time the city spends money, I have 50 phone calls or 50 emails about why wasn't this spent on this. And so it's really hard um, to say, you know, oh, I don't mind giving you guys this money annually because although to me $10,000 or $5,000 isn't a, a lot of money to a citizen who is kind of nickel and diamond us and going through our expenditures, um, someone called me about a Home Depot expenditure a couple weeks ago. People read the information that we put out. You want to, you know, you just want to be careful about that. So that's something I would like to say. Um, I understand really a lot of, about what each board and commission does, but the HPC is one where I think we could tighten up, you know, kind of understanding their purpose. And, um, you know, if we're going to have them, we need to utilize them. Something I found out in the Clark Park discussion was um, we have this conservation language um, but it's never been used. Why is it there? Do we need it? Um, you know, you know, maybe the HPC and the commissioners could be helpful to us for that to kind of explain why they think that that's necessary or, you know, why we need to implement it. You know, if we're going to have the commissioners, we need to, you know, utilize them and the information that they have based on their service. I think that's really important. Um, for Neighborhood Services Advisory Board, I just feel like there's so much underutilized um, I, th I just think there's so much potential there. Um, I look at the fact that we have a youth member and that we have a lot of shootings. We have a lot of violence that happen at schools. Um, how does that, how could that youth member play in with communication? How, how could, um, you know, how could we, 
I just, I'm, I'm sure there's something there. I don't really, I don't have all the answers. And I, just because I'm on city council doesn't mean I'm going to come up with these grand ideas. I just think there's got to be something that we can do with Neighborhood Services Advisory Board that could help because our neighborhoods are struggling. We have a lot of neighborhoods that are struggling. And while we don't necessarily, they don't come to a council meeting, they don't, um, organized like Clark Park, um, kind of to Councilmember Bruno's point, people work, people aren't all retired. So there are people that probably have tons of issues over their neighborhood and they can't gather. They don't have a neighborhood group. How can that play? You know, how can we, you know, utilize that? I would like to know if that's something staff says, no, wouldn't be a good thing. Fine. I just kind of would like to see, you know, what you guys think about that. Um, and then for just in general about kind of orientation or kind of what commissioners do, I think something that would be helpful is, um, if you're going to be a volunteer and you're going to be a commissioner and you want to work with city staff, you have, you're only as good as what, what you let that city staff member tell you. If you're not going to listen to their advice or listen to what they're telling you is best for your role, you know, it, I don't understand. You know, I, I just, that, that kind of boggles my mind a little because we are only as good as the staff that is behind us. So every city council member will tell you when you got, when we got here, uh, we think we the bomb, we know everything the city staff will humble you very quickly. They will tell you, you don't know this. This is not this. This is, and so letting them help us stay in our lane, it's like lane assist on your car, right? You got these green lines and so, oh, don't veer. City staff is that lane assist. They're telling you, stay in this lane. This is what you do. This is how it works. And if everybody does that, then we can all work together in coordination. Something that I would like to see in addition to the annual review is maybe the commissioners can come in front of us and give us a report. I mean, give us a, a presentation. Maybe they come and tell us this is what we've been working on. We like this stuff, but you know what? Times have changed since three years ago when this other council was seated. This is something in the community that's important. Maybe we could focus on this for you know what we're doing. I don't know. I'm I'm throwing it out there, but I, I would like to believe that you know the commissioners and kind of their interaction with the public and what they do, they have a better understanding of what people need or what people are seeking from them. Something that is interesting to me about the public comment thing, though, is that I went through every board and commission meeting uh, minutes, and there are, there's very little public comment, so there's got to be some way to streamline kind of how that public comment is um, across all the boards. There's not a lot of attendance, but when there is attendance, you know, people do speak and they, they're prepared, so, you know, them knowing that, us putting the information out there. Again, the citizens can only utilize information as good as we put it out there. We have to educate the citizens. We have to educate them on social media. We have to tell them the plan commission is meeting about this. This is what, you know, this is important for this. If you can't attend, you know, please email your commissioners. That's, I think that's super important. Um, one thing that Councilmember Beck brought up that I'm not going to mince words about, the plan commission is all white men. There's a, there's a white lady, I believe, but they're all white men. How is the plan commission a representation of the city of Champaign? Although, you know, yes, all those people have great roles and they understand zoning and planning, giving someone else an opportunity who may not necessarily have that, that background and, you know, doesn't look like them could be vital to, you know, the citizen's process. You know, maybe I don't really care about planning and zoning, but, I, man, I'm thinking about building a house and, you know, I, I want to join and learn. Like that, those kind of, that, that perspective could be good for the commissioners. They could see that, you know, we got several realtors on the plan commission. There's got to be somebody just a lay person who doesn't really care about stuff that could be a, you know, a great, you know, perspective. And I know that when we're talking about things, the city attorney's probably rolling his eyes at me right now because you probably can't say stuff like that. Like you can't pick on people based on their race and color. And I understand that. But um, I think it's important that the mayor and everybody, you know, council, as we approve appointments, pay attention to that. Do I want that to be a selection on there? No. Am I saying your picture should be on your application? No. But we have a responsibility to make our city, you know, 
representative of what, you know, our community looks like and the plan commission, which is a, one of the most important, if, man, I got to tell you, that's got to be one of the most important commissions we have. That's, that's a little, you know, that's a little disturbing to me, you know, to, to find out, you know, we don't have any diversity on the plan commission. Um, and also there needs to be term limits for the commissioners. Um, we have some commissioners that have set on since I've been born. Okay. Um, that we, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta get some new perspective, new fresh blood, new perspectives, new people who can, um, you know, add to the dialogue. And I think that's super important. So, um, that was really kind of all my comments were, I, I just want to thank city staff for, you know, kind of everything that they do as far as supporting, uh, you know, they support the commissioners, support the city council, but, you know, in general, a lot of people don't understand that the heartbeat of our community is our city staff. Um, they're artists, and their artwork is, this, is the landscape of our community. When trash is picked up, when, you know, something is operating correctly, that's what they do. And so the more that we can respect the city staff and what they do, us as council members, them as commissioners, even citizens, when you call and you're yelling and you're on the other um, side of that line, there's someone on the other end who's an employee, who has a family, who goes to work every day. And so if we all treat each other like that, it will be, it will be you know, a wonderful experience. And I just hope that that is something that we can all do going forward. But the orientation of commissioners needs to be just like the orientation of city council members. They need to be humble just like we were. This is what your role is. This is what you do. This is why, you know, this is why you're here. And, you know, just creating lines and kind of coloring over here, that's not going to be okay because it doesn't serve the purpose of what you're doing and it doesn't help city staff further council goals. And council changes every couple years. So we need to start looking at these things not once every 17 years or once every five years. I think it's a really good plan to maybe look at it when we have a new turnover or um, maybe a significant council shift where there's, you know, a significant change in how things are. Because that council, whereas maybe our council was, you know, we wanted to do the Citizens Review Subcommittee and that was important and that got done. Not everybody that was up here was on that, sit on that council. So maybe, they, maybe their perspective, where are we? Yeah. Sorry, a lot of council members have left since I've been here. Work with me. Um, so, I think if we, you know, if you cha if you talk about that, then maybe those roles or what they think is important may change based on that. So, I don't want to say that's politically tied. More so, just the goals of that council changes. The city manager's goal is the same. You know, she she runs the city, she does the day to day, but the council's goal and their direction changes, not just because a mayor changes, but it could change because, you know, District 4 changes or District 3. So I think that's, like, super important to keep in mind. Um, and to all the commissioners who volunteer, um, special shout-out to Kenton Elmore, who has come to every city council meeting since I've been on the uh, Champaign City Council. Um, when he was a commissioner, he came, he attended. Um, his dedication to, you know, kind of understanding issues and being there is is kind of an example of what we talk about when we say we're looking at people. So um, I wanted to give him that because he come all the time. We don't ever acknowledge him, but he here again as always. Thank you. Um, gosh, I have a whole bunch of notes. Uh, I agree with the, that we should have a routine review every three years, five years. That makes sense to me because um, goals do change. Um, with respect to bylaws, um, for me, I would like to see a portion of each of the boards and commissions bylaws be standardized. The remainder being open to that board or commission to sort of plan their work that makes sense for them. But for me, things like time of meeting, um, allowing for public participation, um, 
some standardization of things that um, I guess make us all part of city government makes sense. Um, for example, like with the five minute comment period, I would say no less than five minutes. If a board or commission wants to allow people to have, you know, 20 minutes to talk about whatever they want to talk about, um, God bless those commissioners if they want to listen to it <laughs> or have the time or are available to listen to it during their meeting. But um, I, it, I, it troubles me that we have some that are three minutes or two minutes or whatever it is. We want to allow allow for that. So some standardization, I, I think, makes sense. Um, with respect to meeting times, I think it would be helpful if they were standardized and they were, you know, in the council chambers and people knew, you know, 7 o'clock or whatever it is is the time for for those meetings. Maybe it's 5 o'clock or I don't, but that they're all the same. Um, and, you know, I know one of the reasons I think we do those earlier, maybe I'm wrong about this, city manager can correct me, is because our staff staffs them. And so having our staff here at 4 o'clock instead of 7 o'clock is probably a different financial decision for the city. And it's also, you know, asking our staff to do overtime for boards and commissions. So I'm open to a discussion about whether that makes sense or not. But I do think a standardization so people can come to the meeting and basically know what to expect process-wise would be helpful. And did you want to say something? The only about that? comment I was going to make, I mean, I suppose we can make the assumption that a lot of these meetings are during the business day because of staff. Um, I think, frankly, most board and commission meeting times have been their meeting time slot for so long that it's by tradition. Some of it may be staff, but some of it's also what I will say is the historical stakeholder group, right? So if, um, like, for example, plan commission tends to be more like, land developers or people who are actually engaging with government as part of their professional roles as well, they may prefer meeting times too. I, I don't want to make it seem like staff, like, oh, it would be too onerous on the part of staff to staff board and commission meetings in the evenings because we do. And, and we just need to do whatever makes the most sense for the members of the public who are most likely to engage with those commissions. Agreed. Um, the suggestion about renaming citizen review subcommittee is is fine with me. I think that was a good suggestion. I like the idea of if we're moving forward with um, future meetings, making sure we ask citizens and the board and commission. I mean, we, we sent information to board and commission members so they could be here tonight, but asking for more specific specific information and getting them to engage, I think would be helpful. Um, I do think <clears throat> there is a rub between allowing enough wiggle room for the border commission to make their way and, and engage with the public and do the job we're asking them to do, but also being mindful of the fact that they're being appointed by the city council, that they are not an elected, 
body that they are kind of another arm of government. And perhaps that rub is where the tension always lies, but I think we need to do a better job of communicating together about what they would like to be doing and how we see that role in overall um, city government. And that kind of brings me back to your questions, Christopher, the formalized orientation, I think, would be a, a nice way to have that opportunity um, to talk with each other about those expectations. Um, with respect to Open Meetings Act, um, I, I may be wrong about this, but um, I believe that those are tracked by Joe Lamberson in the um, mayor's office because he will notify me if we have somebody who hasn't gotten it done. We follow up with them. We let them know they're at risk for being um, removed from the border commission. And as far as I am aware, all of those have been done or we would be removing people. So I don't... It, it's not that it's not an issue. People need to do it, but I, there is a process for follow-up, and I think it's important for the public to know that that is true. Um, we should talk about is attendance standards, you know, missing three in a row, or is it multiple missed over a period of time? Um, at one point, we tried to kind of track that to get a you know, idea, is it a certain percentage that are missed? What what are our expectations from citizen volunteers? And I'd welcome more council discussion about what we would like that to look like. Um, and then something in your presentation that, that kind of sparked interest for me was rather than their votes being a majority of a quorum, it was a majority of those eligible to vote, so a majority of the entire body. And if, if that is something that we set as a council within um, our ordinance about those boards and commissions, I think that that's something we ought to look at as well. Why is that not a majority of a quorum as long as the quorum is present and they can hold their meeting? And maybe there was a reason a million years ago when those boards and commissions were put together, but I don't remember, Fred probably knows. I don't know why it is that way. Um, and then I would just say, um, because I feel like I need to defend our current members and also um, the process, we actually have significantly diversified our boards and commissions. I do realize we have one that is pretty <laughs> pretty undiversified, but if you look at the others, they are over time getting significantly better. What I would say to that is that um, I am open to interviewing anyone who applies. I try very hard to recruit, and I have acti actively recruited women and minorities for boards and commissions. But if anybody knows people who want to apply, I know Councilmember Stock has provided me with names of people, um, I'd welcome them because it's awfully hard to diversify a board of, or commission when your only applicants lack diversity and um, th there isn't any interest from anyone else to apply. So um, this is my plea to the public at large and to those who are here 
um, you know, talk to your friends and neighbors and, you know, have people apply for these various positions because we are, we are open to additional um, diversification and I would be happy to interview additional applicants. Um, and June is really when most of these boards and commissions come due. So there's usually a couple positions on all of them <coughs> in June of each year. So with that, do you feel like you have enough information? I don't really know that there's a poll. We've all kind of so, given yeah. you. Um, so um, if I could just propose yep. a little bit of process. So it was never staff's intent to follow tonight's study session with a study session on every single board and commission. I think there's some confusion there. So there won't be the let's talk about the plan commission study session and let's talk about the ZBA and let's wait. Unless council were to direct us that there's a specific board that you think we need to talk about exclusively. Um, so I want that clarified. I think our best approach as staff at this time is to first sit down and kind of catalog all the input and kind of direction you've given. And maybe our next step is to take it to each of the boards and commissions and begin that dialogue at their meetings to get their input about their roles and some of the questions you've raised about um, whether or not they feel like their work is meaningful or how they might be able to do something, and then maybe come back to a future city council study session with some more information and maybe some recommendations around the areas that you guys have kind of raised tonight and then see where we go from there. Does that seem like a reasonable approach? It does. Do you want to poll on that? Um, I don't think so, as long as everybody's heads are Everybody nodding, nodding. That, that works. All right. All right. Thank you, Christopher. Very informative. We need a motion to adjourn. Oh, public comments. Yeah. Uh, no, we didn't. <laughs> Anyone in the audience uh, wish to address council on any topic, please step forward. Seeing none, council comment. City manager. All right. Now I need a motion to adjourn. Madam Mayor, I move that we adjourn. We have a motion and a second. All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed, same sign. Motion carries. We are adjourned.